0: Thanks very much. So my name's Robert. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, thanks for the group for inviting me. It was Mark. I was on a meeting somewhere, sometime, someplace in the, in the ether, and he invited me along to this meeting. So I'm very, very privileged and happy to be here. And it's not early in the morning at all. This is Australia. So it's actually um, four o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. I know in, in in Ireland it's five in the morning and and it's very I must say straight up i, I when, when I had a little flag against my name and I had an Australian flag and an Irish flag because I remember talking to Mark about how, in fact I was born in Ireland, so it's nice it's nice to be in a meeting with the Gaelic, top Gaelic, um, Gaelic words you know to a new path, a new way. I really like that idea and, and in fact, when I thought no, it' just occurred to me. I am on a new path. I am on a new path. I'm, I celebrated 30 years of sobriety on the 20th of December, just gone, so only a few days ago. And um, I'm on a new path. And I think that's what I, I think that could be, I'm going to use that as a topic. I'm a to new path as my topic. I haven't thought about this because I always think the best, the best, uh, the best story is the ones that come from your heart in the moment and not in, from your brain from thinking. So I would just go with the flow, and as I say, I was born in Dublin in Ireland in in 1954, and I I was very like I say I'm, I'm an alcoholic, but I see myself as much as a as an addict with compulsive obsessive behaviours. Um, but I actually really saw the impact of alcoholism very early in my life, and um, yeah, we talk about step one being powerless over our addictions or our behaviours, and and I recognised in my father who was a a very violent alcoholic, and and I know I recognised it very early because I was in Dublin, and we lived, moved from Dublin when I was three. So I saw things between the age of zero and three that that conf- even then, even though I couldn't obviously couldn't articulate it, I saw some really kind of violent activity in my house, and I knew it was connected to alcohol. I knew it was connected to my father's drinking, um, because. had a household where it was okay when he wasn't drinking it was very not okay when he was and there was domestic violence before they'd invented the term you know there was chaos and madness and um and blood on the wall and all sorts of stuff and um i as i say, i know it was that time because i I was in dublin My, my my baby brother hadn't been born yet so i start by saying that because that's really important to me because kind of addictions and alcoholism have have permeated my life really you know right to this minute to this second you know it's um it's been a a very powerful influence on my life life and the reason and, and to go absolutely full circle as into today the reason i like the idea of the new path is because what i'm doing now is i'm exploring and have done for some little time the secular The secular corner of these fellowships, the secular space, and it's been fabulous. I'm going to say that out loud because it's been it's been a it's been a revelation for me. So I, I, you know, I I grew up in this 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 alcoholic family, and there was oh gosh, everything I've heard happened. You know, suicide attempts, police, mental institutions, moving, doing moonlight flits. Some people understand, running away from stuff you know my father often got involved with some very uh, unsavoury people that he might owe something to and there were times when we'd literally flee from the house in the back of a car to somewhere um you know know, with 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 various children in tow and bottles of whiskey being passed between my mother and father on the front seat and then rolling back towards us i always remember remember this kind of jameson's bottle jameson's was my oh i love seeing jameson Labels. If I'm, if I'm passing through an um, airport these days, I always go and have a look at Jameson whiskey labels because they, they, they're bizarrely fond. I've got bizarre fondness to them, You're like a childhood memory of, 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 of the bottle rolling from the front seat of the car as my parents were careering through the night and then roll back to where me and my brothers were cowering, wondering what the hell's going on next. Um, my two brothers particularly, I was just kind of observing it almost like an alien in some ways. Kind of, you know... It's, it's, Out of body experience, I suppose, and anyway, um, Mark said to me, There's no time limit. I mean, I wonder what happened if you actually did a sort of you know, a a, um, a Fidel Castro or a you know, a Putin spoke for like seven hours, would people just disappear gradually and new people would turn up? I just think it's, I don't know, anyway, that just occurred to me, but I'm not going to do that, don't you worry, I'm, I'm not that narcissistic. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I realize I'm already going through sort of blow by blow from my, I'm, I think I'm about four years old by now. But anyway, um, so yeah, I love seeing Jameson's whiskey bottles and I do that and I look at the little creamy labels on the Jameson whiskey. And I have this kind of memory of childhood, but I also have a memory of the fact that that was my, that's what I used to like to drink. And I was always used to think in my family, if there's a Jameson's bottle of whiskey in the family, there would be chaos and violence by the end of the night. But, uh, well, you know, I I, I I swore blind I wouldn't follow my father's footsteps because I watched him trying to, um, trying to deal with his mental, physical, emotional, spiritual malaise through drinking for decades. And I watched him in those days, I'm talking about the sort of 60s and 70s, 60s particularly, mental institutions. They used to lock up alcoholics and he had electric shock therapies. And he was on the, some of the very early... Anti-boost treatment programs um, back in we were in England by this time. We did a we did a we did a very ge- we did a geographical to London and ended up in London. I haven't got an Australian accent in case you wondered. I've got a kind of a London accent. Not an Irish accent. I'd like an Irish accent. In fact, if Tus can give me an Irish accent by sort of default, I'll be very happy because I think it's the nicest accent on the planet. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll just fake one try. I'm sure you could go on the internet and get someone to coach you to speak in a particular accent and maybe I'll try that but not for now um, so um yeah I, I i saw that all this happened to my dad and um, I i swore blind when i was a teenager that i wouldn't go drinking and I, when i think about it i kind of white knuckled my way when my fr- when my friends started drinking i used to i used to they used to go into the pub and i'd go and sit in the cinema and watch a movie just so i didn't drink i'd, sit, I'd watch some great movies you know on my own sitting there Uh, I loved. I quite loved. I still like to do that now, actually. And um, but then when I finally picked up a drink, I don't know if there's a genetic predisposition. I mean, I think you know the 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 jury's still a little bit out on that one. But God Almighty, when I I drank to blackout day one, day one blackout, and then for the next twenty five years, I drank to blackout. To my mind, all the other substances available. Were av- when they were available, I tr- I'd, I'd tried them out to, 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 to oblivion. And I was one of those kind of compulsive, addictive people that if someone said, you know, lick this toad, lick this frog, it will make you feel different. I would lick the frog. I wouldn't ask you what was on the surface of the frog. Or if they said, you know, here's a powder, stick it up your nose, it'll make you feel different. Here's a tablet, swallow it, it'll make you feel different. I wouldn't ask the chemical constitution of the substance. I'd just take it. And then if it made me feel different, I'd want all of them, all of it and, and everything else. And then I'd steal it from people. If I had to, I'd, I'd steal it from my best friend, which I did many a time, unfortunately. And I remember one time stealing, stealing um, some dope from this very good, very lovely, it just came into my mind as I said that, this very beautiful friend of mine, this very beautiful friend of mine, and we were at his party and I stole his dope and he saw me do it and he, he looked around at me and he said, you know, he said, Robert, you know, why did you do that? You know, why, why did you do that? And I know why I did it because I was an addict, you know, I I was a compulsive addictive person and, 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 and and that was more important than the friendship. And that's very sad. That's, that's very sad, sad thing to, to recall and remember, but I do recall and remember that. So you don't need all the blow-by-blow accounts, but for the next 25 years, you know, as it says in the, you know, in the, in the literature, you know, beautiful relationships were shattered. Children were left trying in the <laughs> in, in, in train, you know, opportunities came and went. Houses came and went. Um, but most of all, I, I, most of all, most of all, most of all, most of all, I lost my kind of spirit. And, and when we talk about like a spiritual journey thing, I was... I've always been on a I've always been on a sort of a spiritual journey of one description, right to this second, to being in this meeting. This to me is a spiritual experience speaking at this meeting with 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 all the beautiful people who I don't know uh, here, all the all these lovely how many 20 people. That's a nice round number. If we could get to 25, I'd be very excited because that's my lucky number, which I've had for many years. In fact, when when my father used to beat my mother to a pulp, I used to count in I used to put my fingers in my ears and I'd count to 25, and I'd unpop them. And if it was still chaos and smashing and bashing, I'd stick my fingers back in my ear, and I'd count to 25. And eventually, if you do that for long enough, it might take several hours, it stops. And then I realised it was a lucky number, because eventually after 25 it stop. So if we could get five more people, that'd be nice. We'll see how the thing goes. Um, so, yeah, 25. In fact, yeah, I, I drink and dr- drank and drugged for 25 years. Um, and finally uh, ended up, I, I, oh, yeah, I was on the spiritual journey. Yeah, I was always on the spiritual journey. I was always, when I was a very young kid, I, I, I often tell this, this little anecdote, but it was the truth That I was about seven years old, and I wanted to find God, and I went to my brother, can you come with me? we will go knock on the vicar's door and ask who God is. So we, we went, we were only kids. I was seven, he was nine, and we knocked on this vicar's door. It was late afternoon. And he opened the door. I can see his face to this day. He was like a 50 year old, slightly crouched over little man, black, swept over hair, like over a baldy spot. And I said to him, can you tell me about God? And he looked at me as if I'd said to him, you know, can can you tell me about the, you know, can you tell me about the price of of caviar in Moscow or something? He looked very bemused as if it was the most strange question ever been asked. And I remember him looking at me. I had this very strange notion of someone behind him. I don't know what it was like, whether he's holding someone hostage or what. I wasn't sure. And he just shrieked at me. He said, "Go to Sunday school." And he just threw the door, slammed the door in my face. And I thought that was that wasn't what I was expecting. So that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. And then during my during my drinking and drugging days, I'd always find myself in a temple or a watch, or I'd find myself in a. you know, a cathedral or whatever it might be, or in a forest. And um, at, the age, at the age of 19, I joined a religious cult when I was 19 to try and find God. That lasted about three years. And then after that, I, um, I went to the Lund School of Economics, which for anyone who knows that place, especially in the 70s, it's a, a hotbed of Marxist revolutionaries. So I became a revolutionary socialist and then Karl Marx became God for a short while. Um, and I was, I was always searching, always searching. And I, I, one, one particular time, I remember going on a, on a drinking and drugging spree where I linked up a series of cathedrals going through, the, through, the, through England, from London to, to Ely, to Lincoln, to Beverly Minster, to Whitby, all these sort of spiritual places and sitting in them and trying to find God but being drunk and stoned at the same time. So when I got to the age of 38 and a half on the 20th of December. No, it was actually the 18th of December, 1992. And just as a footnote, my dad had been in and out of AA for some years as well, which was remarkable. He had some quite big chunks. He had 17 years of sobriety at one point. He actually ended up dying quite a gruesome alcoholic death, eventually because he went back drinking again, I won't, I won't go into that story now. It's not necessary. But it, it does always remind me, and I often use that story, that, um, you, know, uh, you know, addiction kills people. It killed my father, eventually killed him quite, quite sadly uh, on his own in a, in, a, yeah, in a small town in India. Um, so come the 18th of December 1992, my life was in complete... Cr- it was crumbling. And, that, and when I say that everything had fallen apart... Most of all, I was falling apart, you know, not physically, although physically I was because I got to that point. I don't know if anyone can identify this who are drinkers or or drug users, but things started not working properly. So I couldn't get myself drunk very easily. And sometimes like I had a big cocaine habit. The cocaine wouldn't do what I was expecting it to do. And I was using heroin to counteract the hope. Cocaine, you know, it was getting a terrible mess. Everything was misfiring. And that was really scary. That was really scary, particularly not being able to get drunk because that was drunk and marijuana were probably the things that I used to sedate myself mostly. And um, it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Anyway, I, I got to, I was working in the States. I was in San Diego in California. And um, I was working with this guy. His name's John French from Camden, New Jersey. He always used his full name like a lot of Americans do in these fellowships. And he um, he sat with me in this bar in San Diego, and um, I just tried to drink myself drunk, and and I and I couldn't. And I I do think I was crying at some point. But he sat with me, and then the next day um, he asked me, "Did I want to go to a, a meeting?" He, said he knew I he knew that I was an alcoholic and an addict. He knew that he'd known it. i had been working with him on and off for about fourteen years. He knew that from the first time he ever met me, but he. You know, he, he, he had the, he had, he took the responsibility statement very, very much to heart there. You know, he sat with me and listened to my drivel for hours on end in a bar in San Diego. Anyway, I said, I said, yes, I did. I did. I did go. Um, I always tell this, this little side side note because he did ask me what was I planning to do anything that evening. And I had this plan, because I don't know, there's probably Americans in this room. In those days, anyway, in San Diego, you could go across to Tijuana. You could take a bus to the border. And if you were white, you could just walk across. It was a kind of a, a you could just walk through. You didn't, there wasn't much of a, a border control then. So I had this idea I was going to buy cocaine in Tijuana, take it back to San Diego and then bus it, take it back to London. Because again, you know, the, the, the airport security was nothing like it is now. And then I was going to do some business with this guy in a, in a pub in East London. And so when he asked me what was my plans, I said nothing. And it was just as well, because I was told later, because some of the guys I was working with were working with the DEA. I was working on a um, uh, with, with NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, part of the NIH. And these guys had told me a couple of days later that there was a deal with the border control guys, had a deal with these drug dealers in mexico that anyone that was buying drugs off them they would get thousand dollars for naming them as they were passing back through the border so had i done that i probably would just be coming out of jail about now i feel we'll about no i've probably been out a few years but i said i had no plans at all to to john and he took me to this meeting and you know lo and behold lo and behold lo and behold i had huge identification with what people said Huge identification, mostly with the men, mostly with the men who talked about how they were spiritually, emotionally broken. That's what I really remember here. And some young guy, I remember the young guy, particularly, I don't know what he said, but I remember that was the essence of it. And I thought, yeah, it's nothing to do with the externals, it's the internals. And that sort of spiritual, spiritual with a small s seeking, but I knew as a part of me, which has taken me to this very minute, this very second. Was, 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 was crushed and my I don't know if you can use um, um, tusnua as a verb but my tusnua is a verb has been that pathway since then it's been that pathway since then now I've gone to I did, I did what many people did I, 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 I got back to London where I was living so I went back from San Diego to London I went straight to AA meetings I've been told by these guys in San Diego, that what you do is you you look for the you, you look for the you seek out the solution and you look for the winners. And that's what I remember. So I got to London. I was very wary about the 12 step stuff. I was very wary about the God thing, particularly because of my religious cult experience, which was very, very was very full on about who God was. But what I did was I focused on step two, where it talked about the power greater than yourself. And like many, many people, I was only having a conversation literally this morning about where I'm going with Secular IA and how that fits with that step two. And I've been I'll talk if I may, I'll talk a little bit about that experience in a minute. But I did what many people do. I thought, OK, I'm going to ignore the God, I'm going to ignore the Oxford group, I'm going to ignore all the Christian right wing fundamentalism that's at the basis of the 12 step programme. I'll, I'll fake it to make it. I'll do the best I can. I'll find a God of my understanding. So I did the steps. And for the last 30 years, um, that's what I've done. Not for the last 30. Yes, for the last 30 years. I've done that. I've worked the program. I've stayed pretty close to the, um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But just before COVID time, and this is what I was doing, just before COVID time, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. This was about a year before COVID. I'm going to start reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a page at a time, one page a day, and read the Daily Reflection. And I did that, and I thought, this is a bit weird. Why are you, why are you just doing this? Why don't you just read some other stuff? And so I gave myself permission. And I've always talked about, I've always said I'm an agnostic in AI. I've always said that. You know, and I've always booked that We agnostics and so people say, you know read if you're an agnostic, read Ag- we agnostics, it's like saying, if you want to be cured of homosexuality, read a book about being cured of being homosexual. So that's what we agnostics is about, because it basically said, you might think you're one, but it's okay, pray hard enough and you'll, 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 you know, you'll be cured. So it didn't do it for me. so what I, I gave myself permission to just start reading very broadly, and I've always been interested in you know other other, other um, uh, philosophies, other religions, other belief systems. And prior to this, I got very interested in a group called Science and Non-Duality. I don't know if anyone else has come across them. They're very big um, internationally now, but it's basically this movement where they're showing how some of these, it's a combination of people who are eminent scientists and people who are involved uh, you know in, in religious philosophy right now like that buddhist around non-duality and you know n- n- not, not a god concept but a spiritual concept and they've come together and i was I've, i spent a lot of time a few years ago following where that was leading and it was basically saying you know, it's a lot of the a lot of the the, the science that we see uh, if, uh, coming out of the recent decades confirms all of what people say about you know the universal energy you know a universal energy that actually keeps everything ticking along. You know, there is, there is a force, there's an energy that is not easily explicable, but um, science shows, um, it confirms a lot of what was being taught in Hinduism and, and, and Buddhism. So I, I was, I was, that, was a, that was a sort of subtext that I was reading around. But then I decided just to read very broadly and just let it unfold. So over the last three years, I've been reading quite broadly a, The Quakers, the Stoics, the Taoists, the Buddhists, Celtic mythology and philosophy because of my Celtic background. I live in Australia and I got very interested in um, Aboriginal First Nation philosophies and mythologies and views of creation and all this kind of stuff. And then I started reading about agnosticism more broadly because you will often hear people in AA, I don't know if it's the same in other fellowships, but... They will tell you that agnostics means you've got no knowledge because, you know, the actual literal translation of the word agnostic is without knowledge. And my counter to that would always be, well, actually, you know, to be an agnostic just means there isn't enough knowledge either way, you know, you, you, which to my mind is the, the only sensible place to be. You know, there may be a God, but there may not be a God. Um, there isn't enough knowledge. We are just mildly evolved, mildly, mildly evolved mammals, You know, some with hats, some without hats, trying to unravel the mysteries of the universe. You know, and if you look at what the James Webb Telescope is telling us at the moment, in our own universe, they are now telling us there are 1.5 trillion galaxies, and we're just one of them on the actual far, the far furthest corner of, of our universe. One of them. And that's just in one galaxy. And then they say there are multiverses folded on each other. And then string theory tells us there are 14 dimensions to our existence. And as humans, we only tap into four or five of them. So I think to myself, well, we're not going to be able to solve that. So agnosticism is the only, the only place that makes sense. And the reason I'm going down this trajectory is because I then started looking at the AA literature or the 12-step literature about agnosticism I read, some, I read the literature that I could get my hands on, you know, the history of agnosticism in AA, which was a real eye-opener for me. And I won't go, you know, many people in this room will know when I talk about, you know, what happened in Canada and Toronto. That's not commonly known in many parts of the, the AA world. And, um, and I just got more and more interested in the secular um, corner of our fellowships. And I started, I don't know how long, it's, it's maybe a year ago, I can't remember when I first began to look at some of the meetings. I not remember when I first looked, but I've been going quite intensely in the last few months. And I've realised there's, there's this very vibrant, incredibly vibrant um, world out there, just like where we are now with 23 people, of people who are, you know, from various fellowships, but have a secular, free-thinking, agnostic, atheistic, whatever, whatever it might be, view that... I feel could be an incredibly significant part of the future for 12-step programs. And um, what, I, what, what I'm really interested in is here in where I live in, 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 in Melbourne is, is seeing how that can be introduced in a way that the program isn't lost because I've found, and this, this is no critique on anyone's, um, own you know as as, you know, as I know in this meeting you can say well, hell you like so this is no critique of anybody else or any other meetings but what I've discovered in some of the meetings I've been to uh, in Australia and in <clears throat> in Melbourne there's a live meeting there's not a focus on the 12 step program in the way that I feel could be of great value to those people who turn up at AA or NA or whatever a you know whatever 12 step meeting get completely freaked by the God thing and disappear. And I'm wondering how significant it could be to have an alternative that is visible and available to those people, because we all know, you know, the ones that fake it to make it, but I think there's, and I know there's a huge cohort of people that will walk into an AA or an NA meeting, see the God thing on the wall wall, and can't fake it to make it. And they just disappear. And where do they go? So and to, to bring this thing full circle, where 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 um where I'm at as an individual at the moment is um working with a few people here or, or gathering with a few people here in Melbourne to set up a, a secular meeting with focus on the program. So I've been looking at those, you know, there's that you know, the 20 alternative steps. And I, I you know it's up to the group how we go, but one possibility would be take a variation or one of those. Uh, one of the secular steps or the, the agnostic steps, and have that as an integral part of a meeting. And what we're discussing at the moment is with a group quite close by that has a step meeting on a Thursday night, and they 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 they're, they're amenable. At least the, the the secretary and some of the committee members are amenable to us having a secular meeting. In a room in the same venue so that that's opportunity is available for anybody else in that meeting or who may stumble across that meeting. So, um, I, I don't know where I started with this or where I'll finish, but I certainly should finish by now because it's nearly half past four. But, um, uh, yeah, I I I you know when I like a lot of these secular meetings I end up with the responsibility statement. When I when I first went to AA, I spent a lot of well I've no actually I spent most of my time in Melbourne, but the first 13 years of my recovery were mainly based in London. And most of the meetings ended up with the as long as as well as the serenity prayer, they'd end up with the I am responsible. Um, statement and you know you know I'm responsible when anyone reaches that help I want the hand of AA always to be there for that I'm responsible and I I've got a little sense of you know personal responsibility with the knowledge I've gained and the insight I've gained in the last few months and from the reading and for this beautiful oh my lord the, the the beautiful literature that's out there available you know instead of having to read you know you know, hundred year old literature, you know, it's great stuff, but there needs to be. I, I love, I, I somewhere I was reading about, you know, if this is going to survive. In fact, Bill, you know, we all know that Bill Wilson, God bless him, you know, the found one of the fans of AA was very clear about the need for AA to grow and to, and to be, you know, to be in tune with the times. It's only been you know, the stranglehold that has been held of the, some of these fellowships by people who don't want to see change that needs to be broken. And that's going to be maybe problematic. But um, I feel that because of that knowledge I've gained and the experience I've gained, and the fact I've got a big chunk of time up, which makes a difference, that I, I, I do feel responsible for trying to do something to make that available to those people who walk through the doors and balk entirely at the religiosity and the God thing And that there may be somewhere, and I love the, somewhere available to them. I love the fact that it's inclusive, you know, that battle they had up in Canada to ensure that secular meetings could remain within the, within the AA fellowship and not outside of it was, was, was so significant. And it's great here in Australia, you know, if I, if I type in um, in on the Australian AA website for secular meetings, they come up, you know, they're on the directories and I know they are elsewhere. So um, I'm really looking forward to this next step. And to my mind, I see that as my spiritual journey. You know, I, I don't go, you know, yeah, you know, I've done plenty of silent med- retreats for days on end and meditated and, you know, done various practices. But I always see spirituality to me as, as an, about an action. It's about action. It's not about, you know, well, it's, it's action. So uh, I I hope that, uh, I, I'm hoping that come the end of January, beginning of February, and um, we'll be able to list a new meeting in Melbourne. That's um, that's got a gives people a, a live meeting as well because we're able to to have live meetings there. A, a live meeting will give people the opportunity. You what? Who you want a secular op- secular experience? You know, doesn't mean it's not spiritual. I'm absolute. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that you can have a great spiritual experience without having a deity, and that's been. My experience for 30 years so i'd like to share that elsewhere so i know it says you could talk forever but i would have thought 30 minutes is ever enough for anyone so i'll stop there and thanks everyone for for, for, for being here and giving me the chance to share really appreciate it thank you